This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Surf Splendor. I am your host, David Scales. Thank you for tuning in. If you are new to the show, uh, welcome. All past episodes are archived for free. I think there's 35 or so, um, and they run about an hour in length. And we have interviews with um, a lot of important and influential people within the surf industry, publishers, shapers, surfers, uh, a little bit of everything. And you can find those all on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, or in iTunes and Stitcher. If you listen to this show in iTunes or Stitcher, um, if you could do us a favor and simply leave a review with your thoughts on the show and rate it, that just helps other people to find the show and uh, helps our ranking with iTunes and with Stitcher. So that would be much appreciated, and uh, we really don't advertise in any way. The show doesn't have any revenue stream, so we don't advertise, but um, that's your way to kind of invest into the future of the show is to do that and then simply share it with friends. And the more this show grows, uh, the more interviews we will be able to do, the more episodes we will be able to produce, the more kind of uh, interesting and important people in the surf world will uh, be interested in participating in the show and uh, be interviewed and that sort of thing. So thank you for all your help in growing the show, and thanks for listening. Today's show is an episode of Surf News with my co-host, Scott Bass. So I hope that you enjoy it. I will be back at the end of the show to sign us out. So enjoy today's show. Thanks. The worst intro song ever. <laughs> down, the line, down the line, Surf Talk Radio and the Surf Splendor Podcast, Surf News with Scott Bass and David Lee Scales. And it's uh, April 29th. It's a Tuesday. And David, we've done really well about staying on our every two week schedule. And we hope that the listeners 
appreciate our lack of sloth. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that, but I think we started it at the beginning of this year, and we're already at the end of April. So that's a solid four months, eight episodes, I guess. Wow. Wow. Amazing. We just jinxed ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be back in three months. Right. No, just kidding. Well, you got the boardroom show coming up, actually. That'll interfere, maybe. Mm, um, is that, I don't, yeah, maybe. That's in two weeks, right? You probably will, unless you want to come down to San Diego. I will be in San Diego for the boardroom show, and um, if you let me handle all the production kind of and prep, we yeah. can host a show from the boardroom show. That would be insane. I'll do all the work. You just have to show up for the one hour and get her done. All right. Well, you I, down? Yeah. Co-host? Yes. Okay. Let's do that. All right. Done. Keep, a, keep on track. A show from the boardroom. Mm-hmm. Dude, there is some crazy stuff. That's There's some crazy new, potentially groundbreaking surfboard stuff. That's, Holy crap. That's going to be at the show. Are I just you, found about, out about yesterday. Actually. Are you allowed to talk about I'm it? I'm not. In fact, I told him not to even tell me about it because I didn't, I didn't want to know about it, you know? Who's they? Um... I don't know if I should even Come say. On. <laughs> <laughs> Thought I'd get you to slip. Uh, I'll just say that there's a well-known surfboard manufacturer in San Diego, and um, he called me earlier, a couple three days ago, and basically said, "Hey, you know, I just got the patent and all the legal stuff's all done, and we want to release this at your show." Wow. And I was like, "Cool." And in between shaping surfboards for Josh Kerr. No. No. <laughs> no. Maybe, but maybe not. No, um, but it should be. It should be um, okay. And then I, there's a German engineer that's flying over from Germany with um, what he claims is some cutting edge, state of the art, groundbreaking, never seen before surfing leash. Oh yeah! Wow, but that's how, not the thing that I'm talking. Although I'm sure that's going to be cool. How do you yeah reinvent the wheel with that? I don't know. You know, um, virtue is uh, the blog. Okay. Um, virtue, I, I haven't even looked at it, and I'm just kind of I've just been so busy lately. Yeah. Well, that, why don't you reset that topic? Actually, what is the boardroom show? Okay. Well, the boardroom show um, is a international surfboard craftsman exposition open to the public. This will be our 14th show. Many of you know the show as Sacred Craft. And in fact, it basically is the same show. I just had to change the name for some legal reasons that I won't get into. But um, it's basically um, surfboards and all things surf hard hard goods related. Um, it's a show that if you love surfboards and you love surfing and you're a surfing enthusiast, you're going to love this show, much like if you're, say, a you know, a a boating enthusiast should love a boat show. Well, if you're a surfing enthusiast, you'll love the surfboard show. And we're honoring Ben Ipa. Of course, Ben Ipa will be in town and be at the show both days, Saturday and Sunday, May 17th and 18th. And we've got six shapers lined up to replicate a classic Ipa sting. And um, we have a bunch of other exhibits, too. We've got the Chunk of Foam Challenge. And that's um, a competition or an exhibition, if you will where we have four shapers lined up to attempt to replicate a classic Matt Biolas lost uh, round-nosed fish, the 5.5, 19 and a quarter board, the original board that's in some of the videos that you may or may not be familiar with. But these four shapers will be replicating that board um, out of a chunk of foam and with only one power source, or one power tool, I should say, and no templates. They have to draw the template on um, by hand. 
and there's some other limitations as well. It's a really fun, um, engaging um, exhibition. Yeah, a good test of their talent too. You and know, that's just in a, a day of shaping machines. It's like a throwback kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it is. They don't get to measure the board. Mm -hmm. You know, they have, they get to, they can put the board under their arm and kind of fondle it and feel it for about ninety seconds. But they don't even start with a blank. They start no. with a chunk of foam. Yeah, yeah, it's a chunk of foam. Crazy. Yeah, and uh, that'll be fun. And then you know, we we have an ongoing glassing, laminating um, demonstrations. Um, we have a ukulele building demo, um, live music, food and beverage. And a bunch of, you know, state-of-the-art surfboards, and there'll be a best-in-show display, and we'll have awards for the best-in-show. And I think it's just really cool, too, that everybody, all the, a who's who of the industry attends. And a lot of them are exhibiting, but even if they're not exhibiting, you see famous surfboard shapers, surfers, designers there just milling around, and you have direct access to them, you know? So it's really kind of a cool event. Um Considering that a lot of our listeners are not in Southern California, um, you do it on the East Coast too, right? Well, I have done it on the East Coast. Um, I'm not doing one on the East Coast that I know of this year, although some people in New Jersey have been aggressively reaching out to me to to you know to maybe do one there. Have you ever looked at the possibility of doing it elsewhere in the world internationally? Well, I have um, thought about it. You know, I think Japan would be a great place. Yeah. Um, Japan does have a little bit of a show that's similar to this. Oh, okay. Um, Australia has a show that's similar to this. I don't think they're all quite exactly like this, but um, I'm open to all of it. You know, yeah. it's just a lot of times it doesn't pencil out on a spreadsheet. Yeah, you know? totally. And logistically, it'd be a, a lot more difficult considering you don't know all the all the people necessarily in those places, but seems like there would be um, a demand for it. Yeah, I think so. The bottom line is that people um, people are are brought towards authentic, passionate craftsmanship, no matter what it is. And that's the reason we like really well-made furniture and we like surfboards and we like handmade that's why we like art. Yeah. You know, we just like to see we're so, as you know, I've talked to you about this before, David, we're so, um, saturated with sort of slam bam. Thank you, ma'am from Asia plastic for lack of a better phrase, Walmart stuff. Mm -hmm. And it just fills our garages and our lives. And it's just, it lacks, um, uh, without getting esoteric. I mean, it, it just lacks a certain, spirituality perhaps that's being a little bit overboard but you know it lacks that handcrafted i give a damn vibe right yeah no and you messaged me right before we came down here about that the interview in my last episode with steve pesman from the surfer's journal yeah well hold on i heard such great things about that okay i, I was in the water actually i was surfing with david price who's one of our listeners yeah, yeah. and a really cool guy and um he uh he said, yeah, did you hear Dave's interview with Pesman? And I said, no, um, but I know that Dave did a really good job. He always does. And I know that Pesman is an incredible interview. Right. Well, that's um, in reference to board building. He, one of the things he was talking about was just like, I mean, there's no other, he, you can't think of another type of art or craftsmanship that has so many talented people pouring their life and soul into it. And it's still relatively inexpensive 
to purchase a unique one-of-a-kind piece. I mean, if you purchased a unique one-of-a-kind piece of art from any well-known artist, it's gonna cost you more than 600 bucks, you know? The cost of a surfboard, or $800. And this is functional art. And, um, and they're undeniably, like, pound for pound, the most talented craftsmen out there in any medium of artistic expression. And so uh, it's a really kind of weird, unique thing that we're participating in and have access to. And, uh, and I don't know that it'll be that way forever. You know, I mean, we're still really on an early evolution of this process, um, you know, within the last hundred years, basically, whereas painting and that's or sculpting other types of art have been around much, much longer. And I'm sure that if you could go back in time and buy a Picasso, obviously, you know, um, or Van Gogh, you know, when he wasn't able to sell anything, you would, in a heartbeat, go back and do that. And that's made me think about how I purchase surfboards now. And it's like, these guys like Dick Brewer are still alive. Why would I not just invest a thousand bucks and buy one, you know, custom made for me? Yeah, you bring up some great talking points. Um, one is that that's, you know, what you mentioned is really sort of the mission of the boardroom and has always been the mission of what I'm trying to do. And that's to you know, lift up and sort of highlight these guys. Because when I was a kid growing up as a surfer, these guys were always the guys that I was kind of in awe of and I was a little bit afraid of. Right. And they were a little bit salty and crusty. And just to get your foot in the door in the shaping bay was kind of a big deal, you know, to even totally. go up to the factory. And I remember going up to the Channon factory as a 14-year-old kid and just, you know, just being stoked that they would come out and hang out with me in the parking lot and write mm -hmm. me up an order card, you know. Right. And, and I just, I just feel like, you know, you're right. We need to, you know, pay a little bit of tribute to how neat these guys are and, and how important it is to our culture, to our surf culture. If that disappears and we re replace it with just, um, you know, basically plastic ocean toys right. from manu mass manufactured, then we're doing a disservice to our culture. Yeah, and I don't think that that's really in danger of happening. I think, you know, that market is there for the brand new people who are buying boards at Costco, basically, who are just weekend surfers or weekend surfers during the summer, probably. Um, but the core, the core group, I think, will always support the local shaper. I should hope. Well, some of them, you know, not all of them, they still have to do their, their end, and, and that's marketing. You know, they have to be... These days, the really good guys are really good at marketing themselves and making themselves available to the average consumer. Yeah, but the difference is that there is a difference in terms of functionality and quality between the local shaper-produced board versus the mass-produced pop-out board. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've told you that I've been involved with wine, you know, for most all, all of my adult life. And there's a lot of parallels in that respect where it's like Kendall Jackson Chardonnay is available in every grocery store across the country. And it's um, consistent and each vintage tastes similar, even though the weather is different every... Buttery with a hint of oak. Exactly. And so people <laughs> like that consistency that you can just go there. It's always the same price. It always tastes the same. But the reality is there's vintage variation every year. And a farmer is tending crops. And when you learn to appreciate that type of nuance of a farmer who's farming his own land, producing an expression of that land every year. And from a technical standpoint, one vintage might not be ideal, but you learn to appreciate the flaws because it, it's character in that wine. 
and you've had his wines year in and year out, and you've been to the vineyard, and you've hung out with his wife and kid, and you met the dog. And so whenever you open that bottle, you remember those things. And again, technically it's not as sound, but we don't care about technicality. If I just wanted to drink delicious beverages, I'd have Coca-Cola, you know? I want an expression of somebody's labor and love. And so that's why I'm drinking this wine is because I remember those things while I'm drinking it. And I think that surfboards are that, you know, and it's like you go and you talk to the shaper and you you've seen him surf maybe and you understand, you know how he understands the wave and and um, all of that is expressed through that chunk of foam, you know, and even though you don't necessarily it's not a technically perfect board, you just enjoy it more. It has more sentiment, you know. Yeah, you you really put that in a um, fine little nutshell there. And Thanks. I like drinking. I will not. Let me <laughs> ask you this. Do the Kendall Jackson Chardonnay grapes, are they all grown on the same farm or chunk of land? Or do they co-op grapes from different regions of Napa? And some Joe Blow grape guy just sells his grapes. to. And then it, how does it get buttery and, yeah. and the same all the time? Is it a process? I mean. Yeah. So it's option B, basically. It's not one farmer farming land. Um they have different levels of Chardonnay. So if you just buy the grocery store Chardonnay for 16 bucks, I mean the Kendall one. The, the, right, but they okay. even they have like a reserve. Okay, right. And at the top end of that spectrum, there is what they call a single vineyard version, oh, which is from a single vineyard. Right. And so that'll be a little bit more higher. It'll be higher quality. But the, the way they finish the grape is where you get sort of the Kendall Jackson nuances. Well, yes. Or to finish the wine, I mean. Yes, in the, in the cheapest example, yes. But in the finest example... The best thing you can do, or the the best winemakers basically get out of the way of good grapes. Oh, so cool. if you have excellent fruit, yeah. you crush it, you let it naturally ferment, natural right. yeast fly out of the air and land in the barrel and ferment the wine, uh-huh. and uh, you just get out of the way because there's nothing better than good quality grapes. Right. Now, in the grocery store mass-produced version, they're sourcing grapes from millions of acres across the state, and... Um, and basically manufacturing a style. And you can do that. Obviously, oak barrels are expensive, and oak sourcing is just as important as grape sourcing. So they'll buy a certain acre of oak trees in France, you know, Uh years, 50 years in advance. And um, for the best oak barrels, which are 1,500 bucks a barrel or something ridiculous. But to make that manufactured style, what they'll often use is just giant vats and they add oak chips. Wow. Just dump in oak chips or even sawdust. Are there some cow chips mixed in there? There could be. <laughs> <laughs> so you make these um, very woody and uh, van- you add vanilla. You toast the oak with vanilla basically. Uh-huh. So it has all those flavors that it then imparts in the wine. So you're fermenting the wine with oak chips. You scoop all the oak chips out and the wine has been imparted uh, with that flavor. So it's a manufactured style as opposed, like the grapes are almost neutral that are coming in, you know, right. and then you're just adding kind of layers right, of. Right. Um, and the Chardonnay grape is a red grape, right? And they skin it? No. Is it um, a Pino grape or something? No, like no, that? no. It's Char- a white grape. Chardonnay is the name of the grape and it's a green grape okay. in color, but when you squeeze it, the juice is clear. Okay. Yeah. Isn't there a grape that, that, isn't there a wine where it's a red grape, but they take the skin off? Well, all, even red wines, have clear flesh inside. The color just comes from macerating the skin. Ah. Except for there's one red grape called Alicante Boucher, which actually has red juice. Ah. But nobody drinks that. Oh. 
So, anyways, that's a lot. Of what kind of call. a podcast is this? <laughs> Surf podcast. What would we call this? Wine, vino, and sand. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're talking whatever. surf. Um, Sorry about that. That's okay. David's email is surfsplendorpodcast. Yeah, it's hello, hello. at surfsplendorpodcast.com. Surfsplendorpodcast. Feel free to send us um, questions or advice or criticism. And we get a little bit and a lot of all of that. And my email Scott at surftalksandiego. Or wait, surftalksandiego at gmail.com. There you go. <laughs> surftalksandiego at gmail.com. You can tell I get a lot of emails. Um do you want to recap it all on our last show? I know that after it, you posted some stuff on Facebook about the Otis Carey race, racism controversy. Um, do you have any thoughts on oh, that? Closing, I guess, yeah. closing thoughts? As I, re- as I recall, I, I did talk with Corey Schumacher about it, and she kind of pointed me in the right direction about racism. The, Bas- right, the right direction? Well, in a direction that my heart feels is correct. Oh, okay. That my spirit, you know... Like, look, you can either be right or you can be free. And a lot of times my ego wants to be right. Mm-hmm. And therefore I'm not free because I'm in, in chained in my ego. Yeah. But luckily I, I, get, I can be convicted enough to understand that, you know what, Scott, maybe you're wrong. Maybe there's a different way to look at it. Sure. And she basically kind of said, look, people can be racist and not even mean it. Like they weren't intentioned to be that way. Um, but it doesn't mean they're, they're not racist. And um, and that was sort of what I got from Corey was that, you know, the nicest people in the world can be racist pigs and not even know it. It doesn't sure. mean that they're not being racist. Sure. And so that was that was sort of in, yeah. enlightening for what, me. What's interesting, I think, about that whole topic is both fighting sides are fighting for the same exact thing. Like both sides of that argument are against racism. Like nobody's actually for racism. We're just arguing this detail of what constitutes when you should uh, file a $200,000 lawsuit or not, basically, you know, and and what constitutes intention, like Corey is arguing, versus, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if it was intentional, it still hurts somebody's feelings. Yeah, and... I will tell you too, she pointed out that the video that we pointed out, yes. that she she said, I don't see anywhere where Otis Carey's jumping up and down like a monkey. Yeah. Now he did take bananas and put bananas in the fins, but it could be argued that, that that's the only fruit shape that has a fin sort of shape. And, yeah. And so she took a little bit of exception with us suggesting that in that video, Otis Carey's acting like uh, a monkey. Yeah. And, and that wasn't necessarily what I was, that wasn't my assessment of it. That was just, I saw the video and thought maybe Nate Myers could have made that assessment of the video prior to writing the article. You know, like he watched his video and that came up for him and that motivated the writing, but whatever. Right, right. Doesn't matter. All right, I got you. All is said and done. Good, um, good backtracking. You. Yeah, you like that? <laughs> um, did well, you see uh, Sally Fitzgibbon's KFC commercial? <laughs> no, no, I did not. Thank God. But I think she's really a cute girl. She's amazing, and yeah. she runs like she does Ironmans and runs marathons. She's super fit. Yeah. But she is featured in a Kentucky Fried Chicken. An American chicken. KFC or an Australian? Australia. Yeah, I was gonna say. For them, they're rolling out a healthy version or a healthier version on their menu, which is KFC Grillers, grilled rather than fried. Which what do we call it? Let's call it Grillers. Which is also why they've shortened the name. Instead of Kentucky Fried Chicken, they changed the name to KFC. 
Ah. to start to back away from the fried connotation. Yeah. You know, Gatorade did that too. You'll notice that sometimes Gatorade's called like G16 or something. Or, or G2. G2. They have like different versions of yeah. Gatorade. Yeah, and it's because there was a lawsuit. The guy who owned Gatorade had his specific recipe and it didn't have sugars in it, obviously, right? Yeah. And they're like, let's dump a bunch of sugar, you know, saccharin or whatever, you know, yeah. whatever sugar it was. And so they had to change the name. Well, all, I'm all for Sally trying to uh, strike while the iron's hot. And if you are offered a one-time commercial that probably pays more than, you know, maybe a year worth of income for somebody else, go ahead and take it. Sell yourself out. Now, I, you know what? It's, I'm stoked for her, too. You know yeah. what? It's funny, I've met man. her before. She's a really cool person. Yeah. I just thought it was kind of funny. Um, did you watch Dane Reynolds' new edit? No. Oh. It's called Feeding or Feeder or something like that. Uh, Dane Reynolds has not been updating Marine Layer. Is this must see TV? No, it is not, is actually. It? That's really? why I'm oh, asking. And did it come from Quicksilver then? No, no, no. It's his own production on Marine Layer. Oh, it is on Marine um, Yeah. And I mean, as everybody knows, like Marine Layer was super hot for two years, probably, of just he was producing the best clips every single time he posted something. Yeah. And he would post something at least once a month yeah. and stop doing the world tour and kind of focused on his free surf career. But in the last year to 18 months, has done neither, really. He hasn't really been updating Marine Layer. And um, so it was kind of odd to see this video pop up, but really exciting, too. Like, I was really anxious to watch it. And I watched it, and it's fine. It's not spectacular. It's him surfing Oxnard beach breaks, as always, with booties. And he's ripping, but it's not ripping harder than he ever has in the past. Um, it's not like an updated Dane Reynolds. It's just kind of more the same that we remember. But my question for you is just, do we care anymore? I do. Do I, you? I'm, I mean, I'm like you. I'm excited if Dane Reynolds puts something out. Do I care anymore about Oxnard and booties? Maybe not, but I'm psyched if he's, you know, like when he put out that Selena Cruz stuff of him in Mexico at this. That was center. when he was like breaking new boundaries every edit, though. I just like his style. Like, yeah. To me, it's like I can watch Machado. I can watch Tom Curran. I can watch Dane Reynolds. Guys whose style I love, Craig Anderson. I can watch them. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I can't get enough of it, you know, because I try to incorporate a lot of that stuff into what I do. And. And I think that that's the case with people who love Andy Irons. You know, you just can't mm -hmm. get enough Andy Irons. You're willing to watch Andy Irons over and over and over. And for me, personally, I'm a fan. And I think he does a lot. I think it's important that kids see him surf because his style is is sort of a classical style. I think. Yeah. With well, that, of course, that new era ripping uh, aerial stuff. I would argue that you don't care as much because you haven't even seen this edit yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, or, or that the general public doesn't care as much because it wasn't crammed down your throat. Yeah, I mean... In the past, it was. I, you know? I could easily... If I want to get my Dane Reynolds fix, I'm not necessarily stoked that there's a new one out or an old one out. I might have a favorite that I'll yeah. get to and I'll go, oh, I love the way he surfs in that video. Let's watch that video, you know? But you know in the past, those two years that I was talking about where it was like anything that he did was just top... Like, it was the biggest news of the day, or the week, yeah. and you watched it a couple Who of different times. Who is that times. kid now? Who is that guy now, do you think? I mean, John John, maybe? I don't know. But I don't think it's Dane anymore. I think Dane... Like, I feel like, um, I don't know, back in the day, like, James Dean, you know, or maybe modern day, it's Johnny Depp or Ryan Gosling or something, where this aloof... They present themselves as just nonchalant, not caring, somewhat aloof, and there's... 
that mystery of that is very attractive and people kind of chase it. But it can only last a short period of time because if you don't care, ultimately, we're not going to care. And I'm wondering if, like James Dean, unfortunately, dies and so it kind of lasts in perpetuity. The mystery will always be there. But with Dane, I feel like that mystery is run out almost. And um, if you're not caring, we're not caring. And in the meantime, Noah Dean has come along. John John Florence has come along. All these other people who have garnered yeah. our attention yeah. and then actually placated us by winning events and things like that. Yeah. We're, we've kind of lost interest. I've definitely had the, if you don't care, I don't care about his pro surfing career. I've, I've yeah. mentioned that on this show many, many times. Like, if you don't give a shit, I don't give a shit. You know right. what? Screw you. You're off my fantasy team. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and so that, that's a great point that you bring up. And and really, it's kind of like, I, I'm sort of waiting for that new guy. And it, I don't think it's John John because John John's so focused on the tour, which I'm glad. Yeah. But it, maybe it is this Noah Dean, or, or maybe Craig Anderson comes out with something, or maybe he's even old hat now, you know? He is, yeah. And, you know, I think um, there's always going to be the new Volcom, whatever, shredder, free surfer guy. You know, it was Rostovich before. Like, it'd be fun to try to kind of place the, the chronological timeline of those guys. Like, who is the original free surf cat, you know? Yeah. I, I mentioned... I, it could have been Billy Hamilton. He might have been the original free surfer guy. Billy Hamilton. Everyone loved his style. He didn't necessarily do contests, and he was super red hot surfer. Dora, Did Dora do contests. Dora might be the original one. Yeah. So I think I mentioned last show. Um, Jay Davies from Western Australia. For me, whenever a new edit comes out with him, I I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna stop what I'm doing and watch it. You don't know who I'm I talking don't even about. know who he is. Has he been on tour forever or something? He's never been on tour. Okay. Who am I thinking of that was on tour from West Oz? Oh. Jay Davies. Oh, somebody Davies or I don't know. tall guy. Yeah, okay. I'm not sure. But Jay I'll send you a couple clips. Jay Davies is unreal. All right. But but again, there's nobody like pursuing, like trying to put an edit out every month like Dane was doing. The one guy that, that sort of intrigues me is Clay Marzo. Dude, I, I love Clay Marzo. He's kind of the guy that for some reason, you know, there is some mystery about, you know, like you, you don't hear from him for two years and then he'll go bang, bang, bang and put out three insane edits. And it's because he has Asperger's, yeah, literally. That's, yeah, that's probably why. Yeah, and he's socially challenged. Like, it's difficult for yeah, him. Yeah, but he's surfing. I mean, you could shoot, you could video. I mean, you could... But if he's not returning the filmer's call to show up... <laughs> no, I mean, that no, sounds that's like true. a, that no, sounds like a laugh, joke. But no, I think that's a good point. No, I that sounds like a joke, but I worked with his previous sponsor for a long time and that's a problem yeah. you know it's like yeah. oh he, he won't show up for trips and he won't return the, you yeah. know and so it's hard to get clips and he yeah. only wants to surf that one windy left in maui right and now he wants to surf west oz all the time because his girlfriend's there but he won't go on boat trips so right. it's difficult yeah, to pin yeah. him down and to yeah. hit marketing targets and that's probably the best thing he's got going is that he's got a natural relatable understandable difficult in this <laughs> yeah but there's um i mentioned again difficultness Difficulty? I don't know. Uh, I mentioned, though, to Steve Pesman as well in that, that discussion, he has a new series out documenting him. It's called Where is Clay Marzo? Or Who is Clay Marzo? Uh, on, on the Surfer's Journal no. website? No, no, no. I was referencing it to oh. Steve about um, something, but it's on, I think, Epic TV is the name of the production. It's mm. on YouTube, oh. but they're, it's an episodic thing. They did one episode as kind of an intro. and <laughs> That's um, it. No. <laughs> <laughs> they're still they, waiting to find him. 
So it looks really interesting, and they actually talked to doctors about the Asperger's thing. Oh, cool. And so it's really, I'm excited. It could be the rebirth of Clay He's Marzen. a pretty incredible surfer. Totally. Um, did you hear about ASP announcing their partnership with Pacifico Beer? Yeah, that's good news. Yeah. I'm all about that. Totally. It doesn't surprise me that a beer company would jump on. I mean, beer companies have been, you know, with the you had the Bud Light tour here yeah. forever. And, um, I mean, you know, even way back, there was the Smirnoff event in Hawaii in the early 70s. And so there's always been liquor or beer involved because if there's young 18 to 25-year-old males, that's a prime target. Let's let's advertise. Totally. Um, it's There's specifically the U.S. beer sponsor. So... Um, Jim Sabia from Pacifico said that Pacifico will be at every WCT event in the U.S. hosting fan experiences at contest sites and throughout the local areas. The beer that was originally brought to the U.S. by surfers will also partner with endemic brands to celebrate the events, adding to the nightlife with great music, good vibes, and cold beer. Boom. I don't partake anymore, but the Baena was the one that I remember. That big, round, massive bottle of Pacifico. The Baena, which is, of course, what? Family size or what? Whale. Oh, okay. That's whale in Espanol. Okay. Baena. Yeah, awesome. They should bring back the Baena. What is the Pacifico fan experience exactly? It's probably just like a big room with radical surfing and Pacifico signs all around it. Yeah. And then somehow or another, they capture your data. I'm cool with it. <laughs> um, I heard a may or a uh, rumor that Dustin Barca is running for mayor in Kauai. Really? Yeah. That's did you hear insane. about that? That's cool. How did you hear about this rumor? Dude, like, where do you, on Facebook? Of or? course. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. most reputable, reliable source of news. <laughs> All good news comes from Facebook. Um, I heard that Chuck Norris is running for president. <laughs> um, or his beard is running for president. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, Dustin Barca obviously has been... He's been become kind of a political activist against Monsanto in Kauai. And uh, so this is kind of an extension of that, I think. Um, but I Googled it. There's no news information. Uh, I was just Googling. So it may not actually be true. But again, I it's part of our rumor or gossip hour of the show. So uh, just keep your, your ears peeled for that. I don't know if that. it's gossip. Is there a better word we can use besides gossip? Well, I like to... What would you call it? I like to state Innuendo? it Innuendo? I like to state it as gossip so that I'm not held accountable for oh, it right. later when right. it comes out as it's not true. Right. You know? All right. Covering my bases. Right. But um, but if true, it is true... Might not be true. Could be true. But if it is true... You heard it here first. Right. <laughs> if it's not true, we heard it on Facebook. Um, <laughs> do you want to hear an update about the Fukushima radiation? Like Shh. a non-boring update? Are there, is there such a thing? Uh... Are there like girls in bikinis in Japan dancing around Fukushima? <laughs> I'll tell you what. Okay, reel, reel me in okay, if, no, it gets, no. um, if it gets too boring. Uh, Corduroy TV actually posted this. And basically, um, I'll just read you. Cyrus short... bought a Geiger counter. Right? Yeah, exactly. Cyrus did you read it? A... Well, I know Cyrus, so okay. I know what he's up to. Yeah. He, he bought a Geiger counter and then what did he do? He bought a Geiger counter, and in his travels, he was in Russia. He's been in Japan a number of times. He's been doing like his own little tests everywhere with he his has. Geiger counter. He has, and he basically said, um, "For us surfers in the on the West Coast, we're screwed. No, there's nothing to worry about. Oh, cool. In terms of what the data shows, there's nothing to be concerned about. Um, let me read this to you though, because he's been giving his Geiger counter readings to a larger entity that's collecting all this data. Oh, cool. And that guy's name is Sean Bonner, and he started a company called SafeCast in 2009 
to mine the globe for radiation data, deploying GPS-enabled robots and people to measure radiation levels in every place they could reach, which currently includes all of Japan, large swaths of the U.S., parts of Europe, Asia, and Africa. All the data they collect, 16 million data points so far, is free to anyone and everyone to use and analyze, which tons of governments and government and journalists do. And this is really huge because um, previously the only data provided was from the Japanese government, <laughs> which was copyrighted and only contained 3,000 data points. Um, that guy is smart. That guy that's developed this new totally. business. No, I mean, that it's... That is really cool. And it's, um, it's very kind of uh, forward-thinking yeah. and just altruistic almost, you know? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. But um, basically the long and the short of it is that uh, the science so far says that we on the North American West Coast have nothing to worry about. Cool. And... Unfortunately, I don't know what it says for everybody listening who's other places in the world, but go to SafeCast and check it out. I think the airline tickets to Southern California just went through the roof. <laughs> what uh, about the um, San Diego Surf Film Festival? I know that's coming up here on May 10th. I know. I want to go. Are or you... maybe or I've, I bought tickets for the last evening. I think it's the Saturday night. I don't know if it was May 10th or May 11th. I think it starts on May 7th. Okay. And there's probably, I don't know, 15 films, mm-hmm. like maybe five or six feature length, like 45 minute films. And then a bunch of short, like 12 minute, two minute, five minute films, which I really like. What do you, what, how much are tickets? Do you know? Um, 15 bucks. Oh, okay. For, for a, they put you in blocks, you know? So I mm-hmm. bought two blocks. I bought like Saturday from four to six and Saturday from nine to 11 or something okay. like that. And, um, yeah, you, maybe you should go Saturday. Okay. If I'll, you can, go to those two blocks on Saturday. I mean, but look at the films and see the ones you want to see, you know? I want to go, but I also want to reach out to some of the filmmakers in advance and maybe get some interviews done while well, I'm there. Well, I bet if you reached out to um, Pierce and Petra, the two that put on the yeah. show, they they may or may not, you know, because there's Meet the Filmmaker Night, like you right. can, but you have to buy the pass to get right. into that. Yeah. So you might... Maybe you could write off your Nautilus Pass. That's what they call it, the Nautilus Pass. Mm-hmm. And it's basically you get into everything. And there's two or three different, you know, meet the filmmakers, um, you know, Nautilus Pass holders only allowed type things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, last year, Jeff Baldwin and I broadcast live from, oh, no, yeah. we, we canned a show from there. We sat outside there and did a show. Okay. And, you know, that's an option. I don't know. Um, what do you, what films are you interested in seeing this year? Um, the Derek Dunphy film, which is about Twig Baker, I wanted to see that. Like a profile piece? I guess. I think it's like a year in the life, but I really don't know. I just, I've, for whatever reason, um, 
Derek Dunphy's done some stuff in the past with film that was really good. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to see that. And I think um, in that block, it's sort of like, it's sort of a toss up. I don't know what, I, I just, I just went, I'm going to go in the last night because they give the awards. It'll be the most right. mojo kind of happening. It'll yeah, be, yeah. probably be the most crowded. And I was like, yeah, I'll go to the last night. And then I saw Derek's film and I'm like, oh, I want to see that because I've seen some stuff he's done. It's pretty good. He's done really interesting film work, actually. Yeah. Like short films. Have you seen any of those um, really dark series that he's done that involve like murders and stuff? No. They're, they're scripted and acted. And one of them included Chippa Wilson gets murdered by this chick. Rad. Yeah, really weird. No dialogue, like artsy, but again, dark. Like this killer shows up at the beach, you know, and and there's there's a narrative to it. There's a storyline, right, right. but ends up killing Chippa Wilson. Um, it's called Shade. Right. Shade. There was like Shade One, Shade Two, but again, I watched it because I knew his name and I was expecting a surf video, <laughs> and was just like, "What the heck is this?" Wow. Really cool <clears throat> music and scoring. Um, I'll put those on surfsplendorpodcast.com. I, I'll have to dig them up because it was probably a year ago that I saw him. But he's a good writer. He's an amazing big wave surfer, obviously. Yeah, yeah um, I'm intrigued by what he can put out, so I want to see that. Interesting, stuff. dude. Yeah. I've never met him. I haven't either. Yeah, cool. Um, have you heard about that? Uh, uh, I think it's called Bella Vita or something. Yeah, that I'm a Italian supporter. Surf yeah, film? I put some. Uh, I I did some Kickstarter money to that to get him going and. I'm sure that'll be... I don't know what's going on with that film. Who's the filmmaker? Jason Baffa. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's Jason yeah. Baffa. Yeah, Jason Baffa is a very well-known, very... Yeah. He's a really good filmmaker. Took the, the Coffin Brothers to Italy, and they did like a surf trip through Italy. Yeah, Chris Del Moro. Yeah, Chris and, Del Moro. And is it the Coffin Brothers? Yeah. Okay. And and there's probably some Italian surfers in there, probably. too. Probably. I understood it to be sort of Chris Del Moro's path through his past, excuse me, through his heritage. Oh, okay. But I could be wrong. No, maybe it is, and those guys were just along for the ride. I always wanted to see that when it got advertised and was in production, and uh, and I think they're debuting it there. Oh, are they? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what date that. But the San Diego Surf Film Festival, if you're listening, um, just Google San Diego Surf Film Festival, and all the films and everything will pop up. Yeah. And it's, it's like May 7th to May 10th or something. Okay. May 6th or something like that. Um. Can we talk about Bell's Beach? Yes, Bell's Beach. Ring the bell. Jeez. Yeah. Hashtag it's on. Hashtag, Hashtag it's on. Make Hashtag it ring. I wasn't impressed with Winky Pop during the finals. I was sort of let down. Yeah, well, I think it was a better choice than the Bell's Bowl. Yeah, I guess Which was I guess falling so. apart. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so I'll just real quick event recap. Um, Chris Moore won in the women's against Tyler Wright again, rematch. And both girls surfed amazing. Carissa got slightly the better opportunities and capitalized. And then in the men's event, Mick Fanning won again against Taj Burrow in the final this time. And on the final day, they had to move the event from Bells over to Winky Pop, I think in the semifinals. But yeah, Winky was slowly getting worse throughout that day as well. So it was kind of a lackluster final day. But uh, but nevertheless, Mick Fanning is the the new Bell's champ. Mick Fanning and Tajboro, thirty mid thirty something surfers, not necessarily known for like new school stuff. Although Tajboro, twenty uh, you know ten or fifteen years ago was like sort of one of the new new school icons. Mm -hmm. um, what does it say about either the wave itself or the tour that it seems like? Um, don't get me wrong. I love Mick Fanning and the way they surf. And I, I think all those guys, you know, I think Taj and Mick deserve to be in it. But I'm wondering if we're getting to a place where we're regressing a little bit. Like, 
are the judges not, and I know Bells isn't an aerial wave and the winds were offshore and all that, but, and this is yet to be determined, but are we getting to a place where we're sort of homogenizing the judging a little bit and, and we're not, there aren't spikes and great scores for, remember a couple of years ago, there was like one, one maneuver waves yeah. were nines, you know? And, yeah. Um, well, yes, we are there, but I don't think it has to do with the judging or the ASP uh, decision-making as much as it has to do with the wave. Like, I don't think the, the we should have an event at Margaret's and I don't think we should have an event at Bell's because you're right. It, it choke or it, uh, it benefits the boring surfer, you know, and Mick Fanning, that is a criticism of Mick Fanning surfing is that he's boring. Yeah. And, uh, and if he's the guy who can perform the best out there, then I really don't think that's a great choice for a stop on tour. Well, a couple of things. The, the big, the first hurdle is the heritage and the legacy of the Bell's Beach event. It's like 63 years old. Right. And there's no way you're going to go to Australia and tell an Australian, we're not going to do Bell's anymore. Like, that's like saying you're not going to have the Masters at Augusta. You know, it's a big deal. I, yes. It's a bigger deal than I think you realize. Like, for the I, culture I and the... The trip in Australia, like you and I are like, oh, lame wave. Why do they do it there? Whatever, 60 years. I mean, it's easy to gloss over it from this perspective. But if yeah. you're there in that history and that culture and all of that legacy, I mean, you're talking Michael Peterson, you know, like five-time winner or whatever. You know, the, the stories of that, you know, there's just too much. 60 years, you just can't wipe it off the face of the earth, you know? I don't want to wipe it off the face of the earth. I want to not make it a CT event, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you and, just wiped it off the face and of I the think earth. That, I think that all the local people will be bummed about it. But if you ask the Australian surfers who are on tour, I, I would bet that they would want, want... I doubt it. If they did, they wouldn't say it out loud. They might tell you after, you know, over a couple of drinks maybe. in a hush-hush moment. But yeah. I don't think there's any Australians that would be like, yeah, Bells is lame. Let's wipe it off the CT. Well, I... then let me read a quote to you. Okay. Four-time Rip Curl Pro winner Mark Richards is on records as saying Bells... Quote, is a dud, the most overrated wave in the world. I'm not doubting that. I agree with Mark. And so you're saying, Scott, look, here's here's an older guy that he has nothing to lose by saying that. He's yeah. got four bells. Sure. Um, I think the young guys, the guys on tour wouldn't say that. Even if they felt, and maybe many do feel that way, they're not going to go out and say it out loud. Yeah. Because I, you're, what you're doing is a couple things. You're slapping Claw, the yeah. guy who runs Rip Girl in the face. Yeah. You don't want to do that. And Singer... You don't want to ruin, you know, you don't want to bum those guys out. Yeah. Is it Singer? I think it's Singer. Probably Singer. Anyway, and then you're slapping the community down there. Um, you know, Torquay is, they're going to be, you know, that's, there's some money that's involved in, in the event down there. And and then all the history, you know, like I, I'd be interested to know how a guy like PT, what PT thinks about the idea of, guess what? We're, the wave's too crappy. We're wiping it off the CT. I, I I don't know. I mean, especially relative to, you know, they've had CTs at Huntington Pier. Right, but we don't anymore. I'm looking at I'm looking at the forward evolution. I'm looking at the forward evolution of surfing and the way that people ride waves. And to say that, well, we've been riding at that spot 60 years ago. I'm like, well, freaking a. That's not a good reason to continue doing it I'm, forward. That's a reason to if you want to take a longboard out there, then let's go do that comp. You know. Well. A couple of things. You, it does do some interesting things for board choice because we saw Jeremy Flores struggle mightily. He surfed horribly. I he hope he saw so some of bad. It looked so bad that I. It looked like he was hung over or something. It was and, ridiculous and how I bad think, he looked. I think that was a a mental thing. I think he was on the wrong board, but to bog rail like that, 
I mean, I, that's how I served. No, he he looked bad. Like, he looked he was, horrible. It looked like something was wrong. Yeah. But but see, that's my point about you mentioned longboarding. Like the board choice there is is sort of interesting. You know, they they do have to. I mean, if I surfed there, I'd be riding a fish. Yeah. Yeah. Or, skate through the flat yeah, parts of that way. You know, you get one or two bangs. And, yeah. Um, here's my other problem with bells, and the same goes for Margaret's, is that there's way better waves right around the corner. You know, it's like, that's a problem for the WCT event if there's a better wave across the harbor. And then you end up moving the event to that spot and it's more exciting than the original venue. That is a problem for the ASP. Yeah. And... Um, that could be a, a situation where they just reframe the, the event. Exactly. To, to, the, to the bells, you know, or it's like ring the bell at Torquay or something. Yeah, and exactly. Then they can have it at Winky or wherever and not necessarily have it... At, and they can say, oh, we're going to look at bells, but... Exactly. But everybody knows Winky's the primary shot, yeah. you know? Um, the other issue with that wave, here's just basically evidence to support my theory, is that Seabass, Slater, Taj, Gabriel Medina, and CJ Hobgood all won their round one heats with a heat total below 11 points. Yeah, that's unfortunate. That's that's boring surfing. That's unfortunate. As the viewer, as that's just boring. Yeah. Um... I thought Sean Doherty's piece on Surfer Magazine summed it up well. He said, surfing bells, even when it's good, is like trying to dance with a corpse. It's like surfing Cardiff where I surf. It's just a <laughs> crappy wave. Like, I agree with you. At the end of the day, it's just not that... It doesn't dance back. You know what I mean? We're not, it does not. Yeah. Um, what did you think about my comment about fan, uh, fanning just being a boring surfer? I see that come up pretty regularly. Do you have thoughts I see on that. that? I see other people say that as well. Um, I, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, what are the, you know, is he boring at Pipeline? No. Is he boring at Chopu? No. In this event, it was In a this boring event, surfer. Yeah, he didn't, I mean, he, he, he didn't do what Jordy Smith did. You know, Jordy Smith was sort of the talk of the event. Yeah. Um, Jordy Smith on that one wave looked pretty damn incredible. And so Mick, fanning, boring. Yeah, I mean, you know what you're going to get with Mick. Yeah. You know what I mean? At least Kelly mixes it up. You're kind of, you don't really know what's coming next. Right. With Mick, you know what's coming next. Right. I mean... I, I see people's argument with him being boring, but I'm not mad at him about it. I'm not either. You I mean, know? It's like I enjoy watching Yeah, him. he's an incredible power gouge. You know, I mean, he's just, you know, a three-time world champion. You, it's hard to be bored with perfection. You know, he's a great surfer. So. Yeah. I, now there's others that I would be bored with, you know, there especially where you're just like, oh god, name them, name them. You want me to name some guys off the top of my head? I really don't. I, it's nothing's coming to my head, but Kai Otten. You know what I mean? Like Kai Otten, he surfs well, but can I remember a single wave he rode at Bells? No, I can. They're all the same. It's like yeah. boom, 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 right. boom, boom. You know, it's kind of like yeah, that, and that's that's sort of when you put, you know try to visualize um, the surfing that those two weeks of bells, you, you just sort of go, okay, two hits, milk it through the fat section and bank it or do whatever you're going to do on the end section. Right. And, and that's it. That's what it is. Ring the bell. Yippee. Um, a word on scoring. We'll get to the Jordy controversy as kind of a main topic. Controversy? What controversy? Right. That was no 10. And, uh, well, well, we'll get to that. But a word on scoring is just, I feel like I'm, I can always rationalize how the judges came to their decisions with scoring even if i disagree with it i can usually understand how it fit the criteria that they've set i feel like this event the scoring went backwards a little bit where it was hard to rationalize some stuff uh specifically 
Kaloe's loss to Kelly in round one, heat seven, that was tough to justify. Kaloe shredded two waves, both of which were better than Kelly's two waves. Um, Jacob Wilcox, the wild card, lost to Josh Kerr in round two, heat one, where he needed a score at the very end, and he arguably got the best wave of the heat, and they didn't give him the score. And I think that was an indicator of just like, if you're going to beat the champ, you have to KO him. And Josh Kerr is not a champ, but it was wild card versus top 10 surfer. So I feel like he, Jacob Wilcox, got the short end of that stick. Hmm, that's interesting. The whole concept of do you have to KO the better surfer, the higher seated surfer? Mm. It's unintentional, but it's kind of true that that ends up happening. It does happen. It does happen. Um, Jordy versus Julian. Do you want to give me the play That's by the play big on one, that? Right? Was that yeah. the big one? Did you see? Well, it? yeah, I watched it. Okay. I watched it, and um, I was, you know, it could have gone either way. Who did you think? Who was your gut with won that heat? Jordy. Did, you thought Jordy won the yeah, heat? Yeah, but I was glad he didn't. Just Why? Based on my fantasy team. Oh gosh. Why? Based on every time we talk about this, I'm a huge Jordy fan, and you're anti Jordy fan. I, I'm not a big fan of Jordy, but not his surfing so much as um, he sort of has over at itis. Yeah, I know. And now this year he's like totally into it, and all of a sudden things aren't going his way, and he's he's you know a little bit okay immature. Let me give let me um, reset the topic real quick. Jul- <laughs> Did I take it off? No, no, no. But for the, the fans, no, for the, just for the fans who didn't oh, see yeah. the heat. You know, sure. it's like Julian's first wave score was a seven something. Um, Jordy's next wave was better than that, so it was an eight point one seven, I think. Julian then got an even better wave, which bumped it up to a. It can only be you know a point and a half better before it gets to a ten, but it's for it wasn't a ten, so they gave him like a nine something. And then the final moments of the heat are counting down. A wave comes to Jordy, needing the score. Smaller wave relative to the other wave. Correct. It was a smaller wave. But he surfs it better than the previous three waves had been surfed in that event. But the judging kind of, the judges back themselves into this corner of he surfed it better than Julian's 933 or whatever that was. But was this a 10? My my argument watching it was I don't know if it was a ten, but it was certainly two points better than Julian's nine point seven nine point three three. <laughs> it was an eleven. It was, you know, but I mean I've seen ten point rides and to me that wasn't necessarily a ten, but Julian's first wave getting scored a seven, whatever it was. Um I actually probably have it written down. Yeah, Julian's first wave was actually an eight point one seven. He bogged on the first turn. He did a better version of that on the second turn. And then did the exact same turn on the third turn. So it's three identical turns. There's zero variety of repertoire, and he bogged on the first one, and they gave him an eight point one seven. He didn't really bog, but he was got caught up a little bit. Okay, like you know, during a portion of yeah. you know flowing through that turn, there was a little bit of a rail. Catch. As you're watching it in the moment, I'm going, okay, he didn't nail that first right, turn, so right. it can't be a great score. Right. Then the second one, it's pretty good. He he, he improved upon the first. Third one, same thing. Here's okay. the thing, though, is that he got three massive. Well, two and a half, two and three quarter massive turns outside, right? I didn't think they were massive. Well, they were turns outside, yeah, like correct. good solid turns, correct? Not like connector turns. And the judges looked for that. Now, how many of those did Julian, did Jordy get? Did he get on the outside? Did he get two or did he get three on his big wave? Yeah, on his, his final, big on his final wave, two. That's that's part of it, right there. But Julian's had zero variety of repertoire, and he made a, 
a mistake on one of them. I'm not arguing. You know, the the. I'm just yeah, saying yeah, that. Yeah. What I'm saying is that that's one of the things they're looking at. Yeah, you could now you could now rationalize their viewpoint. Right. Well, my my thought watching that wave before the controversy happened was just Julian's eight point whatever shouldn't have been an eight. When I watched it, I was criticizing it. And I'm like, that should have been a six, but whatever, no big deal. Let's move on. And then it became very important in the end, you know, where it's like, well, the reason why Jordy didn't win this event was essentially a scale got set too high on the first wave. And then every wave after that was surfed better, but it had to fit within a two point right. spectrum, right. which wasn't enough room to move. Yeah. And, um, but I, I was arguing that it wasn't a 10, but I'm basically the only buddy who argued that because even Kelly Slater said it was absolutely a 10. It was the best wave surfed this entire event, probably throughout the entire year. Um, again, Sean Doherty's piece, he said, I quizzed six past Bell's winners opinions on the subject and their reaction ranged from he clearly should have won it to Jordy took his chops and leaves Bells with a moral victory, if not an actual one. So basically all six past Bells winners thought Jordy should have won. I will won. say that he he handled himself pretty well after you know in the in the post heat interview. Yeah. Well, one of the things he said that stuck out to me, because it's been a problem with judging, is he said, Sometimes I feel like I'm being judged on what my ability is rather than what I actually did on the wave. Like what he has to live up to, you mean? Yeah, like yeah. like judges watch him take off on a wave and they're like, Jordy Smith is up. It better be good. It better be good. <laughs> yeah, I know. Versus a no-name guy taking off. Yeah. You know, Jacob Wilcox, yeah. he's starting with a zero and they're just adding points to That's, his There's some truth to that, I think. That's the nature of um, of surfing exhibition, an athletic endeavor, an athletic exhibition, and that's what this is. It There's is. been a lot more of that argument about is this sport, you know, like what is sport, you know? You love that topic. Well, it's, it's <laughs> some, it, look, I don't necessarily love the topic, but I think that it'd be helpful if we defined it, yeah, like yeah. what is true sport, and and... Look, there's incredible events or, and activities that are athletic endeavors or ac athletic exhibitions like free climbing, you know, half dome or something without any ropes or, you know, like that's, an, that's not a sport. Mm -hmm. There's no defenders there. There's nobody scoring points for you, right. but it's an insane athletic endeavor. And so I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to take away from, yeah from anything. I'm just saying like anytime somebody that's giving you points that doesn't do it as good as you. Yeah. It's kind of lame. Yeah. I think... That being said, I love pro surfing. Right. The the athletic endeavor, not I, the sport. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's an incredible athletic endeavor. Um, I think... An exhibition. Almost everything that I saw about that and heat... And it's a competition, but it's not right, a sport. Right, right, Almost everything I saw about that heat, everybody agreed Jordy should have won. Yeah. Um, whether or not it was a 10, there was more debate, but everybody agreed Jordy should have won. I was surprised he didn't win. And Did, I was gleeful... I would like to... Because Julian moved on. I was bummed. Actually, what I did was in my fantasy surfing account on ASP's website, I had Julian. But in my fantasy surfer account on Surfer Magazine's website, I had Jordy. God, get it. Get it. <laughs> you're the worst type of fantasy player, huh? You're just like playing all the... You're like a hedge fund man. I want to win, dude. Betting against yourself. Even if I got to lose somewhere, I'm going to win somewhere else. I want 180 bucks. I saw that. You were excited about I was, that. I was. Jeez. I've been trying to win in that league for years. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would like to take a moment just to describe Jordan. What about Freddie P? He got robbed. Oh, yeah. Freddie P. Right. Who was that against? CJ? Oh, or gosh. It was a goofy footer. Ace or somebody. 
Nat Young, maybe? Yeah, it might have been Nat Young. There's yeah. a lot of guys, a lot of my Hawaiian friends on uh, Facebook that were really pissed off about the Freddie Peterson. Yeah. But go ahead, move on. Well, no, I wanted to just recap Jordy's actual wave that he rode. Um, the combination of turns that he did, I thought was akin to the way that Dane Reynolds surf, talk, and Andy Irons, for that matter, talking about improv. He just did like a huge wrap open power, like open face gouge, which is ideal for bells. But the way that he came out of it, like at the end of the turn, compressed, like straight into transitioning to the other rail into a really compressed bottom turn, which just projected him up into the lip, into a big blow tail. So it's almost the wake that he set off of his first rail turn was then what he bounced and did a big blow tail off mm -hmm. of. That combination of maneuvers was so old school and new school and radical and improvised and powerful and finessed that that was nine points alone. I but mean, it's Jordy. He's supposed to do exactly. that. So let's give him an eight. <laughs> I mean, I just think that's worth watching multiple times because it was so beautifully poetic and just raw. Like it was incredible, you know? And then... He does one really amazing cutback, actually, before the flat section. Yeah. And then does an air rev on the inside. It was a beautiful wave. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of downtime in the middle of it. Yeah. But beautiful wave. I, I would it wasn't the, the ending wasn't the cleanest. I mean, if you want to be hypercritical. He already got a nine on that one combo, you yeah. know, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So, but um, one thing that was interesting, too, with Adriano de Souza after he lost in his post-heat interview said... He's planning to stay at Bell's for a few more days to continue practicing for next year. I love that. Have you heard of that before? I mean, that's uh, insane. You know, I'm sure people hang out. They might not say it, but I'm sure people hang out and surf and hang out in Turkey for a bit. For those guys, I don't think they do. I think They're they have a it. short... Well, they like, also, I hate this way. Get well, me out of here. Not only that, but they have such a limited amount of time at home throughout the course of the year that it's yeah. like, I've been in Australia for two months now. I want to get two weeks at home before Rio. Yeah. And so most people are on a plane the moment they lose. But Adriano showed up early, surfed a ton, and he's staying late to continue surfing. I think that says something more about his competitive fire than it says about Jordy Smith, for example. Yeah. You know? So um, that's worth noting. And he won last year. So worth noting for next year. Okay. If they still have it next year. I'll forget. <laughs> I'll remind you. <laughs> ADS. <laughs> AIDS. Um, what about, um, is Kelly going to go to Rio? I think so. Yeah, I do too. Did he say he wasn't? No, or is there any speculation that he's not? Well, no, but it's general, you know, widely known that he hates it. Yeah, but he's he's not doing that well right now. I he know. hasn't won any events, hasn't made. I know. Um, so I think he needs to. I think he's sitting in fifth or sixth or something. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I notice about Kelly, started noticing it at Snapper. Everybody is always curious about what boards Kelly's riding. And there's a lot of talk about epoxy and then in, at Snapper who's riding this stringerless green board. But if you really pay attention, he's not riding those boards in his heats. He's riding them in free surfs. Everybody's talking about him. He's got them littered through the contest area. But if you look what he rides in his heats, it's a 5'9", polyester, Maybe a five fin, sometimes a four, sometimes a three, depending on the waves. But he's riding the same five nine in every heat, pretty much. I feel like that might be a little mental game on his stand, his part, where he shows up with five weird looking boards, gets people talking about it, rides them in free surfs. Once the heat starts, five nine polyurethane. Cool. I love it. Pay pay attention to that. Yeah, I will. So 
Good stuff. Um, what do you, Bell or uh, Billabong XXL? Uh, yeah. Let's see here. So I'm on the um, voting academy for the Billabong Double XL. And um, I have my vote, my ballot. ballot. Excuse me. Thank you. Too many crazy years. You have your ballot mailed in? Yeah, already, I do. Or? It's already mailed in. So your choices look, are the, final. So I can't influence your opinion right now. No, it's way it's too late. The Double XL Ride of the Year Award nominees, right? So these are Double XL Big Waves Ride of the Year Award nominees: Grant Baker, Sean, Shane Dorian, Billy Kemper, Greg Long, and Sean Walsh. Three of which are at Jaws. Right. Yeah. So a little bit of similarity amongst those. Yeah. Three of which are at Jaws. Um, of the three at Jaws, I thought Billy Kemper's was the best. Yeah. He gets barreled, right? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a top tube, like he, but he's deep. Right. Deep. Shane Dorian's, I don't even understand why it's in there. Really? There's better waves of him, I believe. He doesn't get tubed. He's just kind of in the pocket. Right. Pocket red. And then Sean Walsh's is better than Shane Dorian's, I thought. And then Grant Baker at Dungeons in South Africa gets this wave, but it's shot from pretty far away, and he's kind of blocked in part of it, too, um, You know, by the wave that's breaking in front of the wave that he's on, so you sure. don't really get a really great angle of him. And so the, the ride that I voted for was Greg Long's wave at Puerto Escondido, where he just takes off on a beastie left, backside. super gnarly backside, super deep on like a 9-8 you know, surfboard, and... It's just, it's quite frankly, these things are hard to vote for. There, there are so many of them, you're just kind of overloaded with so much stuff that you're like, they're all gnarly. I don't know. They're just incredible, you know? Like, yeah. So what I try to do is I try to, I try to just take one look through them and go, which one's the raddest? And not think too much because you start getting too yeah. deep into the thought of it just all. Just what's your visceral what's reaction? My, yes, thank you. Yeah. And so Greg Long, um, he was the... Uh, Winner for me. That's my vote. Greg Long and the Ride of the Year. Unfortunately, I didn't have a visceral, as much of a visceral reaction because you had, before I saw them, you had told me how nuts Greg Long's wave was. So I had a lot of uh, anticipation for that and I set my bar a little too high, I think. Uh oh. Because when I watched it, I thought it was super sick and like an amazing ride. But in terms of the big wave competition and I didn't, I didn't think it competed with um, some of the waves at Jaws. And I thought Grant Baker's was actually the best. And I think it would have been if it, you know, it's just the angle was so The weird. angle, though, that's not, that has nothing count. to do with the ride, you know? The reason, let me give you the breakdown. It says here based, oh, you have it. Okay, because I have it right here, too. No, the criteria? Yeah. No, I don't have that. Based on the review of the available video images, which surfer demonstrates the most advanced and committed level of big wave surfing performance during a single successful ride during the event period? Okay. I think Greg Long's demonstrated that. Well, let me um, start out by saying Jaws has a channel, obviously. And there's a lot of people out there on jet skis rescuing. And it's, a, it's kind of an orchestrated, relatively safe event compared to uh, maybe Puerto Escondido, where it's a big closed-out beach break and you're, you're relying on your own survival mechanisms. So for me, Jaws almost seems less threatening in that respect. And it's I watch. It's pretty and blue. It's pretty and blue. They're in warm water, you know, and I'm watching it going, yeah, that was cool. And that was a giant wave and I would never be out there. But I don't know. There's an element of safety involved or, or 
I watched, uh, I agree with you with Greg Long's, it was pretty death-defying and it was an amazing tube ride. But for me, Grant Baker, that angle, he's at Dungeons in South Africa, the angle being so far away makes me realize how much of a threat there is. If the cameraman can't even get close to the surf spot, and that specific wave that Grant Baker got ends up closing out, like there is no channel. Yeah. He surfs it down the, down the line, but then the whole thing, this mountain of whitewater, just breaks in front of him and he has to kind of straighten out and avoid it. Yeah. And it's like, wow, how do you even get out of the whitewash and paddle back out? Like it just looks treacherous. Yeah. Open ocean, 30 foot swell, just really treacherous, every man for himself. Yeah. So for me, that seemed the most heroic. Yeah. Uh, I don't get a vote, obviously, but my vote would be with Grant Baker. All right. And by the way, he just secured a full-time uh, sponsor. Yeah. With- Visla. Visla, right. Yeah. Okay. And that he used sense. to be on Billabong back right. in the day, so that makes sense. It does. Uh, but I think that's cool that Visla steps up to sponsor a big wave surfer, you know, and that's going to be a new thing. And he is the world champ, the big wave world champ, so he's the guy to sponsor. So, yeah. Cool. Good on Grant. Uh, the next award is the Tube Award, the Double Extra Large Tube Award, and the nominees were Kai Lenny at Jaws, and Alan Ryu at Chopu, and Koa Rothman, and Lori Towner, and Raimanovan Bastelier. Mm-hmm. And I chose one of the images of Koa Rothman. That's just, everyone's seen these images. And by the way, you know, go on to Double XL and look at this stuff, because I mean, listening to you and I talk about it, it's rather, it's not doing it justice. No, and it's a 10 minute commitment and you could see all of them. Yeah, so, and I feel like we should rip through these. I don't know how much time we should spend. Yeah, rip them. But so Cole Rothman at Chopu, the Tim McKenna image is the one that I chose. Yeah, I saw that, it was did, amazing. Did you yeah. make a choice? No, I didn't, but I like that one. It wasn't video, why is it not video? I don't know, for whatever reason, that's a um, still image thing. Yeah, I know, that was kind of a letdown for me. Um, and then the f- Overall performance award nominees were Grant Baker, Sean Dollar, Shane Dorian, Greg Long, and Jamie Mitchell. And um, again, this is one where it's like they all really deserve this. It's totally. kind of hard. To, I mean, how do you determine like who has more miles or you know who chased more swells? I mean, they all do. They all chase the same swells. And so I just chose Shane Dorian because Dorian to me is he of all of those guys, he's the guy I think that they all just go. Dorian's the man. No question. Yeah, yeah no question. Um, and then Keala K- Kenley is the, my for the women's, women's overall performance, Keala. Um, yeah, that barrel she got was pretty nuts. Yeah, she's yeah. insane. Really deep and like blown out. Like the spit comes out before her, you know, she's fully disappeared behind the spit. So I got a couple thoughts on um, big wave board evolution that fits into this. Um you know, that's that's one area where I think there's a lot of room for board design improvement. And those giant boards are fantastic for paddling into waves, but they're very difficult to maneuver. And so once you kind of make the drop and avoid the whitewash, you can kind of angle it off the bottom. And that's what those guys are doing at Jaws, getting in the barrel a little bit and coming out. But there's very little kind of sharp movements that you can make. I was talking to... Richard Kenvin, who last podcast, I said that I had a comment on Kenvin and it was in regards to this, where he was telling me that he thinks asymmetry, asymmetrical board design would really benefit big wave boards because you know which direction you're going when you're surfing any of those big waves. It's mainly, they're mainly rights essentially. Yeah. And 
you can get kind of the more foam, you can incorporate more foam into the board so that you have the paddling benefit in the early entry, but also he's noticed from riding asymmetrical boards a lot of drive off the bottom on those boards. So you can kind of slingshot off the bottom almost and get back up the face of the wave and then have that thinner, more tapered rail on your heel side so that once you get that projection off the bottom and then you need to turn off the face of the wave, you're then using the tapered, thinner rail, you know, mm-hmm. to do kind of your more radical surfing. Mm. So I thought that was entry, in, yeah, interesting. That is interesting and makes sense. I could yeah. see how that might, you know. Yeah, and then the other thought was in my interview I did for the podcast with Josh Martin, he was shaping a hot curl that day and was saying like those hot curls really tap into that kind of underneath energy of the wave that seals and body surfers catch and have a lot of application in bigger waves. Like they're not as maneuverable obviously, but in terms of just early entry and being able to get out in front of the the whitewash crumble, like those hot curls would definitely do that. Well, I'm no big wave surfer, um, but I do have a big wave board and it's 11 feet long and it's my glider that I surf in little small waves. I have it in my car now, but it's also a board that could ride really, really big waves really, really well. And it has a ton of um, basically displacement in um, the nose. Okay. And it's an incredible board. And I rode it on some of the bigger days this year at Cardiff, you know, just, you know, like six foot, eight foot waves. Okay. But I wanted to get a feel for what it would do, what it would drop in, like, you know, what the feeling would be like, the bottom turn and so forth. And I, so I think that that displacement, almost like a, a boat haul, you know, um, having a lot of roll up there in the nose. I know it allows me to get into the wave super fast. And um, Cardiff's a soft wave though. What if you're surfing that at Mavericks? Are you worried about pearling? I don't know. Again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not really the expert, you know, to, yeah. to sort of get into all of that. Cause I, I really don't know, you know, um, that's the challenge with Mavericks though, is that it's such a hollow wave, that bowl, the takeoff that it's like, you need rocker or something to fit into that contour. Yeah, this is a pretty big board, this 11-footer, but yeah. um, anyway. Yep. All right, cool, dude. Billbong XXL. When does that officially happen? May 2nd, so I think this weekend, right? This okay. Friday or something? This yep. Saturday? Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Kook and Duke? I don't have a kook or a duke. I come unprepared. I apologize profusely. It's all right. I could make one up. No, I could you don't make have you to. both my kook and my duke. Again? <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. No. Um, you said that I have to pick just one kook or one duke and I can't make it a, yeah, a you, race of people. Yeah, you can't, you can't throw this wide net. Okay, well, I'm introducing... Do you have a race of people you want to make? No, no, but in the past, not a race in terms of ethnicity, You're just like a those, grouping of people. What's wrong with being racist? <laughs> um, Go ahead. So I'm introducing a new segment this week called Kooks and Dukes. Oh my God. <laughs> You've completely just... Uh, not even participating in your game. <laughs> totally taken over. Um, no, the I... The whole concept. I don't mean to. I have okay. a specific kook, okay. but I, I'm going to have a male and a female duke. <laughs> a duquette? That's right. A duquette. Um, my duke is Glenn Hall. Okay. In the Bells event. Yeah. I thought, like, talking about boring surfers, Glenn is a boring surfer. Yeah. But he has won me over with his charm. You know, I mean, the guy broke his back last year at Cloudbreak, I think it was. Yeah. And 
had to not continue in the event, had to miss the rest of the year, did not get his wild card entry into this year. So it's like he got dealt such a tough hand and it took him forever to get on tour in the first place. So I just feel like he's been dealt a tough hand, but he's tenacious, you know? It's like he just... He's He's like the Irish Terrier. He's like a little... He is. And he surfs really well. It is boring, but it's incredibly well. And, uh, or he surfs incredibly well. And, uh, it's like, I, I find myself rooting for him. And I thought in this event, he served really, really well. Again, he was entered into this event as a, a replacement for somebody who, uh, I forget who wasn't, whose spot he took, but, right. but at any rate, he did fantastic. And it's like, then they go to interview him in the post heat interview and his voice is so high pitched. It's like comical almost, you know, he's endearing and everything he says is just really grateful and a lot of gratitude. There's no animosity as opposed to when Bobby Martinez was doing his thing and he gets in there and just has vitriol that he's always spewing. Glenn's the opposite. Glenn has some humility. I like Glenn a lot. It sounds like I do too. I would love to see Glenn uh, more often. I'm going to root for him now based on your uh, characterization there. The other one is Nikki Van Dyke. Did you see her... Her no. day of destruction. No. Oh, I saw her fall. In the, yeah, I saw her fall. Um, yeah. Hit the reef. Prior to that, she mm. was free surfing, but they have video of it. Uh, free surfing in the morning sesh before they call the event on. She kicks out of a wave into like the flats of the ocean, you know, and just kind of like jumps off her board. The board kind of tombstone pops up and then the wind catches it. And it comes down on her face right as she's coming up out of the water to like shake her hair dry the rail of the board hits her in the eye, like right in kind of the eye socket. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Like you can instantly, you see it just like hit and like go thud and then fall into the water and she grabs her face, fully gives her a black eye. So she comes in from the free surf. I think she's surfing the first heat of the day with a black eye against Carissa Moore, shaken up, you know? I think it even cut her eye. So she goes out, surfs her heat on one of her waves, surfs it to the inside, and then jumps off the whitewash right onto dry reef. And we hear people talking about jumping off to dry reef, but they actually have like an inch of water in between them and the reef. <laughs> or they jump into the whitewash. This is actually dry, not she, even moist. She jumps <laughs> dry reef. Somehow, for some reason, jumps forward yeah. onto the reef. And you see her body hit it and roll before the whitewash even takes her over. <laughs> so it's like, it was so brutal. Is she okay? Can we laugh about this? Totally. Okay. Because thankfully that part of the reef is kind of covered with moss and seaweed. A so soft. A little yeah. soft. Yeah. wasn't like sharp razor coral. Crazy. But I mean, man, I just wanted to like go and give her a hug afterwards. That's, you know? that's classic. Yeah. Wow. Um, you want to hear who my kook is? Yeah. My kook is based on a personal experience. Okay. Um... So, I'm surfing the other day. Waves are pretty solid. Uh, Perfect set right comes to me. I'm going to say the waves are three to five, six feet, whatever. Perfect set right comes to me. Like the one that you don't even have to paddle for. You turn around. Do I know this person? No, no, it's just a stranger. You don't even have to paddle for the thing. You spin around, one paddle in, and you're up, you know? And this guy down the shoulder of the wave is like beelining for the peak. And I'm like, whatever, dude. I'm just... He can battle all he wants. I'm going to turn around and go on the peak. Well, as I stroke into this wave, I realize he's freaking going no matter what. And it wasn't worth even calling him off because there's a million waves out there that day and it wasn't crowded. I didn't even envision that he would go, but he did. So I take off. He takes off right on me, eats crap instantly. 
And I had kind of, I missed the angle that I needed to get down the wave. So like I end up just kind of stuck in the whitewash. I make it around him, kick out in the whitewash and there's a set coming. So we're separated by 10 feet, but it's like, I'm not going to address this now. I'm going to paddle out through this set and then we'll sort it out later. So I paddle out and get under the first one or two and end up catching, like I was able to get another wave in that set. It was a left. So I surf the left and I realize he's still caught inside paddle out, actually catch another wave. It must've been like a 10 wave set or something, but I got three waves in this set, you know? So I'm kind of like not angry anymore, but he finally is able to make it to the outside. And I'm like, well, I gotta say something cause he'll do it again. Like I can't just not say something. It was so blatant. So I paddle straight out to the guy and I'm gonna be cool about it. And I'm like, hey dude, what was up with burning me on that right? Like not trying to be mean, just, hey, what was up with burning me on that right? That was your tone. that can't be your tone. That was the tone. What is the tone supposed to be? Here's what you do. You okay. paddle up to him and you go, hey, look, I'm quite confident you can kick the shit out of me. Okay. This isn't about who can beat up who. This is about what's right and wrong. Yeah. And what you did was wrong. And I can tell you how to do it right if you want. Or you can go learn somewhere else. But until you figure it out, you're not allowed to surf out here. That's a wise way to handle it. Well, I didn't want to be a tough guy about it either. But I was just like, dude, what was up with burning me on that thing? He Immediately, turned, I would go onto the defensive. Though, well, so. he did. Yeah. He did. And he turned around and snapped. He's like, I don't give a F. And just shouts. And I was like, and I'm like, what? <laughs> he goes, I don't give a F. Like he was waiting for me to say something, oh, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so then I go, I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm down. I'm not trying to be a tough guy or attack you. I'm just saying, if you're going to burn me on a set wave, you probably shouldn't fall. You know? Like... Yeah. And he's like, what, 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 uh," and he just like kind of stuttered. And, and then I realized this happens every year at this time. Like I serve year round at this same couple spots and then right around spring break, people show up and they start doing stupid stuff like that. And there's a bunch of other guys in the water who are ripping. And if I'm paddling for a wave, they don't challenge me. They surf better than me, but they just move on to the next wave. This guy who can't even surf. And so... I used that against him. A little bit of localism kind of came through, and I was like, "Whoa, dude, what are you on spring break from the 909? <laughs> like showing up, and then you're gonna eat it on a set wave? You broke that line up. I did. And then he's like, "Now he's really pissed." Yeah. And then he's like, "What? The 909? The 909? For those who aren't around, is an area code for the Inland Empire. Yeah. But he's like, "What? The 909? And I go, "Okay, then what? You're visiting from Arizona on spring break? Like, who are you? Like." Yeah. You don't just burn somebody and eat crap in front of them. And I go, and that's the only reason I'm saying that is because you then got caught inside on a three foot set. You couldn't even make the paddle out on a three foot set. I'm like, good luck catching another wave out here, you know, because I'm going to sit on your inside and burn you on everything. Wow. So you have a resentment. Oh, for sure. Because it's like, (laughs) why are you arguing with me? You were clearly in the wrong. And I'm not going to fight you, but I am. I can out paddle you as indicated by me paddling through that set. And now I'm going to burn you on every single wave. And how did did that go for you? Well, I would have, but then I realized I was getting angry and I'd rather just have a good time and surf. And fortunately, there's a little bit of a drift because of the swell. So he ended up down 50 yards down the beach in one minute. And I just surfed the same peak for the next two hours. I had a blast, actually. I let it, I kind of shook it off. But that is my kook of the week, dude, because who does that? Is he a listener? I hope so. (laughs) I know exactly. No, and I I took a mental snapshot and I'm like... This guy's living in your head rent-free. You know that, don't you? I know. (laughs) But 
honestly, I'm going to burn that fool next time I see <laughs> oh it. I know what board he's riding. Oh I know the shaper personally. Oh, like, yeah? I wanted to do some background research, but I didn't. Um, but no, anytime he's out there, me and anybody I know out there, free pass to burn that fool. All so. right. Fair enough. Well, that's that's a good... <laughs> good that's story. A great story. I loved it. Right. I love your outro song ended three minutes ago. <laughs> it did. It did. We've gotten into Pearl Jam, Soldier of Love. Solid. I think there's a Beatles song called 909 or something. I was trying to find it. Isn't there a Beatles song like... I don't know it if there yeah. is, and they can't be referencing the Inland Empire. It doesn't matter. It's here it is, one after the nine oh nine. What are they referencing? Let's see if we can play it. Here it goes. One after Is that like a jetliner or something? I don't know. It's I'm not sure what it is. It's just called one after nine. Hmm. One after nine oh nine. Well this is dedicated to my kook of the week. <laughs> you know who you are. There you go, the one after nine to nine. I guess that ends our show. Sounds good, man. Follow uh, me, David, on uh, social media at Surf Splendor. And then the website with all of these video links and everything we talked about in the show is surfsplendorpodcast.com. And you can follow the same information that I just basically take right off of David's website and put onto my website. Down the line, what is it? Do you know, what is it? Down the line radio. Yeah, down the line radio.com. Thanks. Good job, Scott. Way hey, to self promote. Hey, how is the traffic going? Have you, have you noticed like people listening to the show? More and more every single like I just looked at um, April's stats. Yeah. More downloads in April than there were in March, and there was more in March than there was in February. Cool. So no, it's it's growing for sure. And we should give a shout out to our uh, host here at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center broadcast studio. Surfing Heritage in San Clemente, do yourself a favor, come by the Surfing Heritage and check it out. Become a member. When you walk in the door, you'll be able to become an uh, annual member and um, walk around the museum, check it out, take it all in. The Surfing Heritage and Culture Center in San Clemente. Awesome. All right, until next time, adios and aloha. You're up, you'll get down. Thank you for listening to today's show. Thank you, Scott Bass, for co-hosting. And thank you to Surfing Heritage and Culture Center in San Clemente for allowing us to use your space as our studio. If you listen to this show in iTunes or Stitcher, please rate and review the show. That helps others to find it. And feel free to visit our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, where you can find all the additional media that goes with today's show, uh, things that we discussed, videos, photos, that sort of stuff, all on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And there's also a comment section, so chime in, you know, share your thoughts on the show or your opinion about something that Scott and I discussed. And then also make sure to follow us on social media at Surf Splendor on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And we will keep you updated throughout the week with various happenings and goings on. So thanks for doing that. We appreciate you listening, sharing the show, and doing all that you do to help keep Surf Splendor growing. And I will be back with an all-new episode next week. 
So until then, this is your host, David Scales, saying thank you for listening and aloha. And everyone thinks we're trouble. Give it.